Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, we are jumping into Revelation chapter three today. So we're making good progress. We're through three churches now in our study so far. We've got a few left to go. Um, we're gonna be finishing these up in the next couple weeks, doing a short sermon series on the armor of God in the end of August. And then in, um, in September, we're gonna jump into Revelation four and beyond, okay? So it's gonna be a great, great uh, season that we have ahead of us. Um, one of the things um, that I experienced when I was in third grade was that I started playing guitar. So like, like I played guitar this morning and there was once upon a time where I started playing guitar and I really was not that good. And really, I still have to work really hard at it today, but um, I really wasn't that good. I started taking lessons and I took lessons and I took lessons. And from about third grade to about sixth grade, I took lessons. And by the time I hit fifth, sixth grade, you know what happens with young students who are learning musical instruments? very quickly you lose heart. <laughs> you go, oh, this was so much fun. Now, this doesn't happen to everyone, but it definitely happened to me. I hit a point where I was like, I do not want to play this guitar ever again, ever again. So eventually I stopped taking music lessons, and then I started again with just a different instrument in a different context with a different mentor. And in high school, God began to get a hold of my heart to say, you know what, this is not just a musical instrument. This is a tool to be used for my kingdom. That's what God said to me and began to change my heart and give me a heart for people. My, my point is this, is that many times in our life, we have moments of spiritual apathy. We're going to be looking at a church this morning who experiences spiritual apathy to the uttermost. We're looking at the church of Sardis this morning. And so as we jump into this church, may God reveal to us what we need to hear for our lives today as we go out from this place. Um, I invite you to... Stand with me if you're able to for the reading of the scriptures. Revelation chapter 3 says this, Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. But if you're not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. And they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray that the words of scripture, your words, would take root in our hearts that we might learn in order to live increasingly to your honor, to your glory. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to set upon the truth that we might live it out and share it this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we are in this 
teaching today where it's all about being apathetic. Uh, in fact, I, it, it's actually even more than apathetic because for a good number of the people gathered in the church here, Jesus says, I know your works, but you're dead. So it's apathy to the extreme. I love how Dr. Ray Stedman puts it. He said, this is the church of the walking zombies, right? They have, they have movements. You see things going on, but really there's no actual heart. There's no life. There's no, there's no ministry behind it. All it is, is activity, right? Here's the thing. Actions matter in our Christian life. But actions without the moving of God's spirit are just like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. They're ways in which to build our own resume or ways in which to make ourselves look better. You know what really ministers to people? You know what really ministers to us? God. Not what, it's really who. It's God. God ministers to people. As we allow God to live out of our lives, the teaching of scripture is, the more we are able to minister to people, the more we're able to lift them up, the more we're able to be a light in the midst of a dark world. Now we're in this series on kings and kingdoms and we're talking about these seven churches. They each have a different historical context, but also note, and I just remind you of this, verse six is anyone who has a ear should listen, has an ear should listen to what the spirit says to the churches. He's writing this in a circular letter. Um, This is going to every single one of these churches. They're reading each other's mail. We're reading their mail. And while they're being written specifically to specific churches in a historical context, they have application for all the churches at this time. They have application for us today. And and there are some who even maintain that that some of these um, qualities that we see throughout these seven churches take uh, residence in different seasons of church history. You know, um, some might describe this era of church history. Some might describe this era of church history. I think there's some value to that because as we look back and we look at times in which people were very focused on their works, I mean, it happened in the ancient time. It happens in this time. It also happens in specific historical times throughout the Protestant Reformation. Sometimes you get so focused on what you do and you haven't got the gospel, but you forget that what you do should be animated by God working through you. So we're looking at this letter to the these seven churches. So John's in Patmos. He's receiving a message from the churches. They go to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis is circled in red, Philadelphia, Laodicea. All right, so we're inland again. We've been on the coast. We've been in the inland. This last week we were in Thyatira and it was inland, but it was kind of in a flat plain. This morning we're actually going to be inland, but we're going to be in a rocky area. All right, Sardis is a place that if you had lived there, you would know that you have a very strong fortress. Here's a photo of ancient Sardis right here. You have a very strong fortress. You are at the ancient time, especially in the seventh century BC, you are one of the greatest cities in the known world. You are the capital of the province of Lydia. You have legendary wealth if you lived in Sardis back in that time before the common era. It is said, actually, that making coins, minting coins, was first 
practiced here, in part due to the vast amounts of gold and silver that were all over the place. The kings of this area, the people of this area who were in leadership were very, very rich because gold was very, very prevalent here. Not only was it a center for gold and precious metals, it was also the center of one of the wool trade things that were going on. So they would take wool from sheep or from goats, and one of the things that it's claimed to fame is, is many people say this is where dyeing wool first took place. So if you have ever seen wool dyed or if you've ever dyed wool to make clothes or fabric or something like that, it so says that it's happened and it began here in Sardis. These are wealthy people, but they're very lost people, right? They have all this commerce. They have all this um, wealth and, and material goods. They have almost everything they could want. But, but they're very lost. They're degenerate, in fact, in some ways, in how they act. In AD 17, another kind of claim to fame, if you were from the place of Sardis, is in AD 17, an earthquake destroys the city. And it's so valued that Caesar paid to have it rebuilt. So what we find when John is writing to the church of Sardis, this is a, this is a city that's been rebuilt by Caesar. It's, it's cared for deeply by Caesar. They, they have this strong imperial cult worship that goes on there like it does in other places. But let's look at the text here. So it's right to the angel of the church in Sardis. Now you know a little bit about Sardis. The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says. Now, every time um, John begins writing this letter on behalf of the Lord, he gives a little description of the Lord. And, And God is saying, I'm the one who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we know from reading the end of chapter one, seven stars refers to the churches, right? Just kind of bumping back there really quickly. It says, the secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this, sorry. The seven stars, I misspoke. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I misspoke. The, these, these, um, these stars are that God holds these messengers delivering this letter to the churches. He holds them in his hand. He cares for them. He protects them. But not only that, it says, I'm the one who has the seven spirits. A lot of scholars think this goes back to Isaiah chapter 11, where it talks about the Davidic king, the, the, the messianic king who is to come, will have the spirit of the Lord rest on him. And there are seven qualities given there to describe the spirit. You can go back and look at it later. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. The, there's a spirit of wisdom. There's a spirit of knowledge. All, all these things rest upon him. One of the things that he's cluing in is that God dwells with his people. When when he talks about the Spirit, we know from the rest of Scripture, we'll look at some verses this morning, that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's a promise to the believer that God himself is with us. Back in the ancient time, Israel, they they, they received the the teaching from God, and God dwelled within their midst, right? He he lived within a tabernacle for a while, then he took up residence within a temple. Jesus came, and the amazing thing that happens that Jesus promises, I must go because there's another one who's going to come, and that is the Holy Spirit, and he's going to bring a recognition of sin to you. He's going to remind you that you are his. He's going to put a guarantee on your life that you know, wow, I am kept by God. 
He, he's gonna be one who's gonna cause you to walk out my ways. He's gonna be the one who gives you power and strength. This is the one who has the seven spirits of God. He's, he's hammering home this idea of the seven spirits of God. Now, all those spirits, of course, are enveloped into the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits signify, like what one writer says, they signify the completeness of the gifts of the Spirit and the universality of his presence. So we've got the seven spirits, the seven stars, and what marks the believer is the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love the way that Ephesians 1 puts it. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he's just, just want to hammer this home. The, the believer is someone who hears the word of truth. They hear the gospel of their salvation. Not only do they hear, they believe. They say, I'm banking all my hope in that because I know without Jesus, I am hopeless. <laughs> They're saying, I believe in you. And when that happens in the life of the believer, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. That's the God who is writing this letter to the church in Sardis. And he says this, he says, I know your works. I know your works. He said this before. He knows what's going on. He sees what they do. He says, you have a reputation or you have a name, you could say, for being alive. But notice how it qualifies. You have a name for being alive. You look alive. You look like you're moving. You look like you have activity. But you are dead. The one who sees all things. Last week we saw that Jesus is revealed as the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. He sees to the very core of who we are. He sees their works and he knows, man, they're working on the outside, but there's nothing going on on the inside. It's not uncommon in various parts of the world to grow up within segments of faith or, or to be a part of checking out faith. And look, if you're, a, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, you're going, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I want to learn more. I, I'm so thankful that you are here. Kick those tires. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Open the scriptures. Seek to know and seek to understand. Engage with others. It's okay to seek. In fact, it's good to seek. But here he's saying to the church, people who have said, I'm a part of the body. You have works, but you're dead. You have works, but you are dead. Now, they're dead. They're doing stuff. They have this reputation for doing stuff. But like James says, what good is it if someone says he has faith and he doesn't have works? Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. You know, works matter. But it's always initiated, it's always pushed forward by trusting God, by, by faith, believing that what God says is true. That's what leads the plane. In fact, if we move forward into the world and we have good works, works like maybe caring for the homeless, works like maybe um, going to teach in a kids program, maybe weekly gathering here, maybe having a ministry to widows and orphans, maybe stewarding creation, maybe being a part of an art camp, maybe being a part of a, of a midweek Bible study. If we have all these works, 
but at the center of our life, we don't have a trust, a faith relationship with Jesus. All those works amount to a hill of beans, which doesn't amount to much. (laughs) They amount to a hill of beans. And Jesus wants us to get this practice right. What matters most is your vertical relationship with God. Everything flows out from that to the world. And if you're not connected here, friends, you're not going to be effective in ministry here. You may look effective in ministry, but you're not going to be able to really minister in the way that brings a revelation of life to someone else. I mean, you can't change people. I can't change people. But when we walk in the Spirit... And we don't gratify the desires of our flesh, but we walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these fruits of the Spirit, these, these fruits of God working in our life, when we walk in that, wow, there's an amazing difference of ministry that takes place beyond activity. So he says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And then he says this, he says, be alert. You could say, be watchful. Or you could, you could say, guard and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Here's what he's saying in verse 2. He's, he's, he's calling them to alertness. He's calling them to watchfulness. And he's actually bringing a, a division within the church. He, he's, he's saying to some, you're dead. In fact, when he looks at the church as a whole, they're dead. But he's noting that there are some people who are not fully dead yet. I'm not dead yet, right? There's some people who still have a hold on Christ. There are still some people who are there who are genuine followers of Jesus. They may be beaten down. They may be battered. They may be just, oh, weary by serving Christ in a really, really challenging place. But there's a few there. How many that is, I don't know. But there are some who are there. He says, strengthen what remains. Be alert, strengthen what remains. Uh, Recently, I read a great book. It's by um, Brother Andrew. Uh, He was the founder of, I believe it's Open Doors Ministry. And I I read this book called Light Force. And it's a story about how he goes to strengthen the church. In fact, one of his like motto verses is strengthen that which remains. And so he goes to places like Lebanon and Syria. He goes to um, Israel. He goes into Bethlehem in Israel, where where it's more Palestinian-based. He goes into really, really challenging parts of the world. He meets with Hamas leaders and Hezbollah leaders. He goes all throughout that region to share Christ, but he really goes to strengthen those believers who are there, because sometimes it's really, really hard to serve in a place where you just feel beat down. You may be one of just a few believers. Maybe there's others who call themselves believers, but, but there's no life in them, and so they've got activity, but they don't have spiritual life. But you're, you're gathered there, and you're trying to, with God's help, be a witness for the gospel, and it's really, really tough. And he says, strengthen what remains. Years ago, um, some of you were with me on a trip. We got to go to North Africa. And we visited some of our missionary partners in North Africa. And we, we landed the plane. We took the buses or the taxis or the whatever they were to where we were staying. Within five minutes of being there, one of our hosts said, thank you so much for coming. Not many people come to this area of the world. You have no idea how much it matters that you came because your presence ministers. He says, be alert, be watchful, strengthen what remains. 
There's followers of Jesus all throughout our world, all throughout our world. We have the incredible opportunity to pray for them. We partner with several as a church who work in very, very challenging areas, areas that we don't share verbally on a live stream because the sensitivity of ministry is so strict. They work in places where it's really, really hard. We're called to strengthen what remains, to be alert. Do you realize the amazing ministry you can have from your comfy chair at home, praying for a believer whom you know by name or not by name? Do you realize the amazing ministry you can have if you know someone by name to drop them a note? Maybe to send them a text message over WhatsApp. Maybe, maybe to partner in some way with us by going on a short-term trip to some of these areas. I still remember 16 years ago or so when my wife moved here, we're literally in the, in the moving van taking it back and I'm riding with Pastor Tom. He's like, hey, so do you want to go to this region of the world in February? And it's November and I'm going, we just moved. Like it's been an emotional day. We just unloaded all of our stuff. I said, maybe we could talk Monday about this. He said, sounds good. A couple months later, we find ourselves on a plane with some friends going over to encourage brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who live in a very, very, very remote part of the world to take the message of the gospel. We went, and one of the things I learned is we went to strengthen what remains. But it's not just out there that needs to be strengthened, it's also in here. I don't know about you, but, but life is hard sometimes. You face challenges with sin, you face challenges with discouragement. You need people to come along and just say, it's okay, keep going, keep following Christ, it's worth it. Be watchful, be on your guard, stay true. We need people to do that for us, and friends, we need to do that for other people. We may not even know what's going on in someone's life, and the Spirit may come along and say, go encourage them. And a kind word to a mom or dad wrestling through parenting a young one, or a kind word to a beloved senior saint walking through a medical condition or something else can be a way that we strengthen what remains and continually point each other back to God and the gospel. Jesus is saying, you're doing some of these works that a congregation does, you're religious, you're not spiritual, wake up, be alert, strengthen what remains which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. You haven't finished what you've come for. And then he says, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Now it's interesting because in the Greek here, it, it, there's like an emphasis. I love the way one Greek scholar puts it. There's an emphasis kind of put on a couple words here. Like normally you would say we heard and then we received. But it says we received and we heard. You normally, normally might say, repent and then keep, but here it says keep and repent. And I think Jesus is, is focusing on those who are followers of his, going through whatever difficulties they're going through. He's calling them to be alert. He's calling them to be watchful about their lives and about what God wants to do. And he begins, though, with this in verse 3. He says, remember, remember. He says, remember, I, I don't want you to forget. Be on your guard. Strengthen what remains. Um, he says, remember. He says, remember, and, it, and it's this. It's a present active imperative. In other words, it's a command. It's a command that there's to continue doing, and it's in present tense. It matters for right here, right now. Uh, he says, remember what you have received and what you have heard. What have they received? 
Well, those whom he's calling to remember what they've received, they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It ties back to verse one. The, the one who has the seven spirits has actually come to take up residence within the believers there. He's promised the Holy Spirit to them in John 20, verses 22, in Acts 1, 8, in Acts 2, verse 33. He's like, remember what you've received. Remember whose you are. And remember what you have heard. You've heard the word of truth. You've received it. You've heard it. Remember, have this action of constantly remembering that God is with you. Have this action of constantly presenting yourself with the gospel of the word of truth. But then he says, I want you to keep it, which is also a present and an active imperative. And it wor- the word means persist in obedience, pay attention. You know? So it's not just, I'm, go- I'm gonna keep this. It's, it's like pay attention, focus your life on keeping. Now, one of the other places this word is used is in John 14, where Jesus is talking about discipleship, and he's making the point that the overflow of your relationship with Jesus is marked by love. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my teaching, right? So, so it's not, we don't keep the teaching in order to earn the love. We're people, believers are people who have already been and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, Because of what we have received, because of what we have heard, we are to keep, not out of legalism, but out of, God, here's what you want for my life. God, I give my life to you. God, would you produce this in me? Because I don't know about you, but patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and all those things that are of the Spirit, they don't arise naturally from my own desires. They arise from God working in and through me. The, the, the call to keep the commandments is not one out of legalism. It's one out of love where we receive what God wants to give. And so there's remember what you've received and heard, keep it. And then he says, repent. Now, what's interesting about the word repent here is it's actually in a tense. It's an active imperative, but it's in a tense called the aorist tense, the aorist tense, which typically signifies completed action. In other words, what they, have be- or what, what they have repented of, it describes a point in their life where they have come to God, not in their own worthiness, but in their unworthiness to receive the life of Christ. He says, you've repented. You, you, could, you could translate it kind of past tense, but it signifies completed action as opposed to a present keep on going in this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, my friend, today can be the day. Today can be the day where you look at your life and say, you know, God, I am not worthy in and of my own strength. And he says, I know. And he says, that's why I've sent my son. And you can say, Jesus, I receive the word of truth, the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again to bring me life. And God, I receive your life as mine. You can become the righteousness of God today by turning from your sin and trusting Jesus. Today can be that day. He says, remember what you've received and heard, keep and repent, but then he gives a warning. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. I think who he's talking to here is he's talking to people within the church family who have not repented of their sins and followed Jesus. 
You know, earlier, some were told to be alert. And in contrast here, he says, if you're not alert, if you're not one who has received the life of Christ, I'm going to come at an hour that you will not expect. It's interesting because Sardis is known for its temples. Um, This is an amazing temple right here. This is a temple, I believe it's to Artemis, one of the patron deities of the place. Behind the temple, up on the Acropolis, is where the ancient fortress stood. Here's just a kind of a cool photo of how big those pylons are, how big those marble things are. Imagine this in all of its splendor back in the day, people gathering to worship the gods of Artemis and the god, the god Artemis, the god, the god Sybil, um, gods who culture said brought life, but they really didn't, only Jesus did. And here's where the ancient fortress is. Now, the ancient fortress is virtually impenetrable. And Jesus used this, this language here, which kind of mirrors some language that he talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5 when it talks about the coming judgment uh, and the second coming of the Lord. But what's amazing is that there's a history that goes back far with the Sardinians being surprised and having thieves come upon them twice in their history. I think it's in 529 BCE and, yeah, 549 BC and 214 BC. There's two times where the citadel of Sardis was like, man, we've got this covered. All we have to do is guard one entrance. We can fend off anything that comes our way. So there'd be, there'd be a battle that would come up against them and be like, nope, we're actually safe up in our citadel. Here's a part of the old wall. I have no idea who the guy is in the photo. Um, No idea. So they're gathered around. They're thinking, there's no way that the enemy is going to overtake us. But what happens at both times is um, someone scales the wall, like uh, of the opposing army. Someone is a really good rock climber, scales the wall, gets into the city because they're not even watching all four corners. And in this process, they actually fall to two different armies in two different centuries because they were taken by surprise. When Jesus says, I'm going to come at you and you have no idea what hour I will come against you, the people here knew the stories of ancient Sardis and go, yeah, there's been at least twice where we've kind of fumbled the ball and not protected the, the place that we live in. I will come like a thief. You have no idea what hour I'll come against you. But you have, he says, a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. In other words, you have some people there who have not engaged in idolatry. You have people there who are mine. He's he's pulling out, he's saying, there is a remnant here of faithful followers of Jesus amidst all the people who are busy doing works, but not actually having a relationship with Jesus. He says, there are a few people here who are faithful. They haven't defiled their clothes and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. I just find it interesting. He's writing about clothing to a place that produces dyed wool clothing. These people know what it takes to make white wool. They know what it takes to make red or purple wool. They know what it takes to go throughout this whole process. They know what it takes to wash it. They know what it takes to clean it. And he says, oh, there's people amongst you who have not defiled They're going to walk with me in white. And in white has many symbols in the scripture. One of the symbols is of purity. 
And there's people who are going to be walking with me in white because they are worthy. And their worthiness is not determined by their deeds, it's determined by whose they are. They have an authentic living relationship with the Lord Jesus. These are people who are believers, not just church attenders. Now, if you're a believer, I, I hope that you are also part of a church community, right? It goes that way. But these, people who, these are people who aren't just checking the box. These are people who aren't just engaged in good actions, which never save anyone, which are important, but they never save anyone. These are people who are believers. They found their worthiness in the blood of the Lamb. They have, they have been bought with a price. Their identification is Christ. They know what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain because they live in a world that values money. They live in a world that values trade. They live in a world that values security, even though they don't always have it. They live in a world that very frequently, in this case, they worship two gods. I already mentioned Artemis and Sybil, God, goddesses that brought life, or the people thought that they brought life. And here they are, a church of the walking dead, because they don't have life, or at least most of them don't have life. And they're called to turn to the one who does. They're called to walk in his ways. White, I said, is a symbol of purity. One writer writes, um, white robes were worn by priests and many other worshipers in the Jerusalem temple. Worshipers of most deities, um, like Isis, Apollo, or Artemis, celebrants in cult festivals for the emperor and so on, they wore white clothes. But in wearing these white robes, Jesus is saying, they aren't worshiping false gods of culture. Or if they are, they're coming back to me because they are mine. I'm reminding them of whose they are. And because of that, he says, in the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Now the word never here is interesting. It's, a, it's an emphatic in the Greek. It means I will never, no, not ever, you could say. Or you could say, I will never, ever, I will never, ever erase his name from the book of life. Some people take this to mean that their name could be erased from the book of life. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think he's using a negative to highlight how much they are kept by God. How much, no matter what they face, if they are his, they can be secure. God will, of course, bring guidance to them. He will reveal sin even to the believers. He will say, stop trusting in the things of the world. Come back to me. Trust in me for what you need today. But what's at stake is not their eternal security. It's using this emphatic negative to say, you are victors. You will never have your name erased from eternity with God because you have acknowledged Jesus as Lord. And those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord, Jesus will say, he is mine. She is mine. Acts 3 is another place where this word for, um, for uh, where is it in this translation? Um, the word erase happens. It, it might have, yours might say blotted out. In Acts 3.18, it says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out or that your sins may be erased. What happens when we come 
to Jesus and we repent and we turn back and we say, Jesus, you alone are the place that we find life. You're the alone the place that we find meaning is that Jesus takes every sin we have committed in the past, the present, and the future. And when God looks at us, he looks at us with the righteousness of Christ, not with the sin of Jeremy. Now, I still struggle with my flesh. I still struggle with, how does Paul say? He says, how is it that I sin? I do the things I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And Like, he has a problem because he recognizes even as a saint, even as a holy one, even as a person who has been bought and redeemed by God, he still struggles with sin. But it doesn't change his identity. He is forever kept by God. He is forever cleansed by God. When God looks at at, at the believer, he goes, my child, my child, we can come boldly into the throne room of God, not because of our works, but because of Christ which is the exact thing, my friends, we should do when we encounter sin in our own lives. Don't stay in our sin. Reckon that what God said was sin is sin and say, God, I, I, I can't walk in holiness on my own. God, I need you to walk through me. And God says, absolutely, here we go. That's what it means in part when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The walk of a Christian is not meant to be a walk of labor in the sense of toil. That doesn't mean it's easy, by the way. But when we're yoked to Jesus, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because he's with us. A couple things as we close. One day Jesus is going to come in judgment and and he's going to say, as he says in Matthew chapter 8, let me just read it to you. I don't want to mess it up. It's a great, great verse. Matthew chapter 8, where it says, um, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Jesus is highlighting this thing that I think John is highlighting here through Jesus' revelation to him is that there are some who just are about the action, but they're not about the life with Jesus. They they may be doing things. They may be doing things even in his name, but my friends, without a personal walk with God, without a personal revelation with God, without repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus and saying, God, I want you to be the master of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. If you've never done that, Jesus will say to you one day, I don't know you. I don't know you. Jesus' invitation for you today, come know me. Jesus wants to be known by you. He he reveals himself to you today. He invites you to trust him today. I want to ask you this morning, where's your heart at? Are you alive in action while being dead spiritually? Are you alive in action, but, but you're dead spiritually? You've never come to a point of surrendering. That, 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 that once for all, God, I, I repent of my sins. This point in time where you recognize if it's not, if life is not found in Christ, it is not found anywhere else, then I urge you, Come to God for life. Don't wait another day.
come to God today. If, if, if you want to have that conversation, if God is working in you that way, I'd love to talk with you after we're done. If you're a follower of Jesus here, if you're one of his whose righteousness is found in Christ, you're, you're a believer, the message to you this morning is be alert. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle. Right? It's not just a battle of governments. It's not just a battle of nations. It's not just a battle of homes or cities. We are in a spiritual battle. Scripture says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Which means, by the way, there is a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy, who is waging on your marriage, who is waging on your personal walk with God, who is waging in your workplace, who is waging in all these areas that our lives touch. But God's word says, keep watch, keep guard, because the greatest power the enemy has is no match for Christ in his people. It's why Ephesians says, stand, stand therefore. We'll look at this passage in a couple weeks. Stand therefore with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, know in whom you stand. Message to believers today is, am I aware of the spiritual battles going on in my life? Am I aware of the spiritual battles going on within my marriage, within my raising my kids, within caring for my grandkids? Am I aware of the spiritual battles for purity? Am I aware of the spiritual battles over over my speech, over my mind? Because they're out there. But Christ says, come to me. And in him, we find sure, complete strength for everything we face. So, am I aware of the spiritual battles going on in my life? Where am I not keeping watch of my life spiritually? That would be a great prayer for you to ask God. Where am I not keeping watch of my life? Like the people got into Sardis, a back doorway, a way that was really difficult, a way never expected. They still got in. They, they still messed with the people of Sardis. God, where am I not keeping watch of my life spiritually? Where do I need to return to you for grace and strength? Finally, a message for the believer is this. A challenge for the believer is strengthen what remains. We already talked about this for a moment. Friends, we all have people in our lives who need encouragement, biblical encouragement. Keep going. Keep fighting the fight. You're struggling with that sin? Can I pray with you with that right now? Can we trust God for this? Maybe you know people who are serving in really, really challenging parts of the world. Maybe it's uh, Muslim-predominant um, countries. Maybe Hindu or Buddhist-predominant countries. Maybe people where the government is very much against them. Pray for them. Say, God, how can I strengthen what remains within the body of Christ throughout the world? Let that even begin here at home. God, who can I strengthen today by reminding them they're not alone. God is with them. This is why we need to be in community, by the way. Um, when we are, um, when we're lone believers, when, when we're uh, lone rangers out in the Christian life, <laughs> um, it can be really isolating. And that's one of those areas that's not really good to be as a Christian. We need people to come alongside and pray and encourage. 
Don't back away from biblical community. My friends, don't do it. Don't do it. We need each other in following Christ. I want to take a moment right now and just give you pause to pray. And then I want to take a moment to pray on behalf of all of us for for believers in difficult areas that God might strengthen them, that God might strengthen you as you go into the workplace this week. Go ahead and take a moment. Ask God, God, where, where are these areas I need to keep watch of in my life? If the Lord has brought something to your mind, commit that to the Lord. Claim the victory of Christ over that. Father, I thank you that we have victory through Jesus. I thank you, God, that we stand not in our own strength. We stand in the strength of Christ. And even as your word says, this is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands aren't a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory, God, you said, that has conquered the world, our faith. The one who conquers the world. And who is the one who conquers the world? The world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Father, we we come this morning, and those of us who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we believe that you came and you died and you rose again for our sins. God, we come in the confidence of knowing that we are your sons and your daughters. That while we live amidst a spiritual battle, God, you have won the war. But you call us to keep watch and you call us to keep guard and to observe our lives. And God, we give these areas of our lives of temptation to you. God, would you, would you remind us that you are, you are enough for us? Would you remind us that, that your power is actually made strong in our weakness? It's okay to be weak, God, because you've made us strong in Christ. Daily remind us, God, maybe moment by moment remind us of whose we are. And Father, we pray for dear friends, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ around the world who are seeking to share the gospel with a very lost and broken and hurting world. And we pray, God, that you would strengthen them today. Strengthen those in the Middle East who face um, uncertainty over their safety. Strengthen those in Asia who face all sorts of threat um, from governments, from threats on their life, from threats of excommunication from their families. God, strengthen those in, in North Africa, the rest of Africa, that you would give them what they need today to proclaim Christ to their world. God, that you would help them to be a light in the villages in which they serve and the cities in which they serve. God, I pray for those who are ministering in South America, Central America. God, would you bless them? Would you remind them that that they're doing important work for the kingdom? Would you remind them, God, that their strength is found in you? God, that the spiritual battles they face, God, they are yours to deal with. Remind them, God, that they're loved and that they, can, that they can walk confidently in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, would you remind us here within this, 
Western context in Europe and North America, when we look sometimes at churches that maybe even have become museums to go look at the architecture, would you remind us, God, of the spiritual work that you are doing in our midst? Help us to strengthen those believers that remain in those communities and those relationships and those friendships, that they might be a light where they're at. God, would you help us to remember that you've called us to live our lives for the glory of God, to shine brightly in the world that Jesus may be lifted up. God, we want you to be exalted in our lives. We don't pray for safety. We pray for an awareness of your presence in every situation that you call us to. And a wholehearted commitment, God, strengthen our resolve to be your hands and feet in our world. Thank you, God, that you have not left us alone. You've given us your spirit to remind us that we belong to you, that we're forever kept by you. Thank you for the community of believers which surround us as we run the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray in his name. Together we say, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.